The book of Job, chapter 14, verse 1, says that man who is born of a woman is of a few days and full of troubles. Read it up in Job chapter 14, verse 1. What he really said is that we mortals, we are given three score and ten years, some four scores, a few lucky ones may have five score years, short life in this world, but our life is going to be full of crises, full of problems, full of troubles. It's not only us, but I think all the Bible characters from Moses to King David, Queen Esther, the prophet Elijah, Jonah, even in the New Testament, the apostles, Apostle Paul, Peter, James, John, even our Lord Jesus Christ in his 33 years of life on this earth are full of crises. So I have entitled my sermon, Facing Life's Crisis with a New Heart, Mind, and spirit, shall we bow our heads for the word of prayer? Our Lord, we come to you for help to face life crisis. We ask that thou will be with us. We know that you are here. We seek the Holy Spirit to guide us in our study of your word today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, what is a crisis? Mira Kafir who is an Israeli psychologist and psychotherapist, define it very simply, whatsoever, whatever radically disturbs and upsets the normal order of a person's life. Anything that radically disturbs and upsets the normal order of a person's life. I don't need to remind you that we are now in a crisis situation with this pandemic. And things seem to be settling well. And then you have the Omicron variant. And things get upset again. So what happens, you know? These are some of the examples of what kind of crisis that most of us are facing. Some of you may be facing now or have recently or may face very soon. And there are different levels and different types of crises like personal crises, Things like broken relationships, family conflicts, marital conflicts, loss of job, facing violence, you know, experiencing grief and death in the family. These are very personal things pertaining to each one of us. These are personal level. But many of us may have a personal problem and may have other levels of crisis, like organizational crisis. You may work in a company that may face bankruptcy, or there might be a huge problem of leadership, and so on and so on. Then you have community crisis. In the news, we have people who have conflicts with each other over their gender, over their, their uh, religion, over their social class. We call it tribalism. Then you have national crisis. From time to time, you've heard about disasters, you've heard about political turmoil, you have terrorism at that level. And some people go through that. And then you have world crisis, wars or impending wars. One country having tension with another country. And then you have pandemics, you have climate change, you have world economic crisis. So life is full of crisis. Now, 
Many of you would have heard of midlife crisis. Midlife crisis pertains to people who are of the age group of 45 to 60 years old. At this stage of life, uh, called midlife, people look back in their life and say, what have I achieved? Some people are disappointed with what they have, uh, what they have done, what they failed to do, and so on. And they go into a state of depression or anxiety and so on. That's called midlife crisis. But recently, people are beginning to show interest in studying quarter-life crisis. Quarter-life crisis pertains to those who are in the age group of 20 to 30. So we have quite a number of you here belonging to that age group. Uh, and that has been described very similar to the midlife crisis, you know, where people feel insecure and have doubt and disappointment, disappointment surrounding their career, their relationships, and their financial situation. And it says that four in five young adults in Singapore experience this quarter-life crisis. So, Job is correct. You know, we are full of crisis in our life. We are facing all of this. All right. Now, what happens when you face a stressful and crisis situation? Our heart, our mind, and our, our whole body, you know, go into a survival mode. Because there are neural hormones that are secreted into your system. You know, adrenaline, no adrenaline, cortisol. Cortisol is the stress hormones. These are secreted into the body. And then we go into fight, flight, or fright reaction. Sometimes you may have to fight. Sometimes you may have to run away. That's flight. Or sometimes you'll be so frightened, you're frozen. So these are the three modes. And they are situations in which all of us experience to some degree or another. All right. So what happens to the brain? When we are facing a crisis in a very stressful situation, the thinking part of the brain, the frontal lobe, goes offline. The frontal lobe helps us to think rationally, logically. It's the thinking brain, but somehow it goes offline. And then the limbic system, which draws on our past fears and memories of the terrors that we have experienced, come to take over. And so we are stricken by fear and so on. Now, let me, you know, give you an illustration of someone who is in crisis. King David, in the chapter 55 of his Psalm, uh, Psalms 55, not chapter, Psalm 55, and I quote from the King James Version. David was facing his enemies who threatened his life. And he says, you know, suddenly he, he turns to God. He says, give ear to my prayer, O God. Do not hide yourself from my supplication, as if God was playing hide and seek with him. He couldn't find God. Or suddenly he didn't see God. And then he said, attend to me and hear me. I'm restless in my complaint and more noisy, noisily. Well, because he was threatened by his enemies. His life was in danger. And then I go down a little bit. He says, you know, uh, my heart is severely pained within me. Sounds familiar. Some of us feel that way sometimes when we face a terrible situation. And the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fearfulness and tremblings have come upon me. And horror has overwhelmed me. And then he tries to cope by saying, you know, Oh, how I wish I have wings like a dove. I can fly away, be at rest. I can fly into the wilderness. 
I can wander off in the wilderness. And then he says, Sila. Uh, I, I like to put a bit of humor in it. Just like Singaporean, every time we have a problem, we say, Sila. The die man, Mati la, you know. But actually, Sila in Psalms simply means a pause in the rhythm, you know, of the Psalms. But I think we can play on it. Uh, but sometimes it's typical of us that when we are faced with a terrible situation, we say, Sila, you know. But this is David. This is King David, all right? And uh, he was described as, uh, God called him a man after my own heart. And David does not hesitate to cry for help, all right? It is all right to cry for help. The first part of his Psalms, all the Psalms that he wrote, are actually cries for help. He hear my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. And that's the prayer sometimes we cry out too. We cry out for help. Other people cry for help in other ways. Okay? But this is how King David uh, cried for help. What about Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul in his missionary journeys trying to preach the gospel around the region went through terrible crises. And in Korean, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 23-27, he had a whole list of problems. And when, when I look at the list, I said, if you ask me to be a missionary, to go and preach the gospel and go through this, I say, Maya, thank you very much. Look at what he has gone through. You know, he has been put in prison several times. He has been whipped more times than you think. He faced death again and again. Five different times his Jewish leaders, his own leaders, gave him 39 lashes. We get five strokes of the rotan, we think it's very bad, but he got 39, all right? Three times he was bitten with rods. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. Not once, but three times. And then he was adrift in the sea for a whole night. He traveled many journeys, faced dangers. He was threatened by his own people. Uh, he traveled in the deserts and so on. He faced hunger. He did not have enough sleep. He says, I have many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty, and I have gone without food. Sometimes we all go without lunch, we all grumble. But he has gone without food, and he has shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep him warm. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul going through this, doing the work of God? Now we may think that, well, those are apostles and King David. But what about Lord Jesus Christ? When Jesus here was, was here on earth, he faced crisis. And on the night before he went to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, he went through mental anguish. <coughs> he says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Okay. And he went a little bit further. Now, this can be found in Matthew chapter 26, 38 to 39. And he fell to his feet and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is be possible, let this cup pass from me. But it's nevertheless not as I will, but as thou will. And then when he was on the cross, we all are familiar with the Christ of Jesus. It's my God, my God, what hast thou forsaken me? And I raised the question, did God forsake God? Sometimes 
we see how God can even forsake God. Uh, and so, our Lord Jesus Christ was not spared of crisis in His life. Now, at this stage, I may th you may think that uh, crisis is, is a very bad thing for us. Uh, I may give you the wrong impression that uh, crisis is horrible. In a way, it is. All right? But... Uh, but they are not always bad for us. The Chinese word, the character Wei Ji, crisis, is a composite of two elements in the English language. It connotes both danger and opportunity. It's dangerous, but there's an opportunity in it as well. This has been talked about many, many times. I, I, I'm sure you all have heard about it. And I may want to draw a little bit more from this. Danger, because when a person is in crisis, if he has, no, he has no support from anybody, and he has no help, no crisis intervention, no counselling or treatment or whatever you want to call it, there's a danger of this person having a mental breakdown, may do things rashly, commit homicide, commit suicide, and so on. That's the danger of a person in crisis. But that's an opportunity too. When a person's in crisis, if we can hear the cry for help, and help is forthcoming from the family, from friends, from colleagues, from church members, people can grow. People can build their strength, build their resilience, you know, as a result of that crisis experience. Now, crisis serves as a form of behavioral immunization. It is part and parcel of life. Without, you take away crisis, you take away the stress, people become very soft. I can't imagine this soldier defending Singapore. You know, when this picture was in the public, there was a huge outcry. What kind of soldiers are we going to produce? He can't carry his backpack. He needs his foreign domestic helper to carry for him. Stress crisis serves as a kind of behavioral immunization. It is a kind of what is called stress inoculation. And this has been studied by psychologists uh, over and over. That crisis help us build our character. It helps us build our our resilience help us grow and help us mature, both physically, mentally, and spiritually. So I want to stress that crisis is not always bad. All right. Uh, now the book of James, chapter one, verse uh, two to four, and I quote from uh, the scriptures. James says, "Consider it pure joy, my brothers uh, and sisters." Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. All right? Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So, stress, crisis, difficult situation does help us to grow. All right? so, now, the question is, how do we cope? How do we cope with all these things? Although we say all these crises and stress are not bad, but how do we deal with it when it comes? All right, so that is a question we may want to spend a bit of time. 
First and foremost, I believe that crisis give us an opportunity uh, to make positive changes. We are all full of negative experiences. Uh, sometimes I like to stay in my comfort zone. I wouldn't say sometimes, but most of the time. And I think some of us, especially me, tend to have negative mindset. We are set on a negative mode. Uh, we tend to go into this fight, flight or fright reaction every time we face a crisis. And I try my best to apply some of these things I'm talking about and sharing with you to myself as well, okay, most of the time. So we need a crisis to push us out of the comfort zone. It needs us to help us move away, you know, to remind us, hey, there might be something else because you can't be sitting there and suffering, experiencing the stress, the anxiety, the depression, the anger, and so on and so forth. So why do we need to move to a more positive direction? Because there have been studies done, uh, particularly this group of researchers, Michelle Tugadi, Barbara Richardson, and Barrett, uh, they have done studies on the values and the benefits of having positive emotions. They discovered that when you have positive emotions, it serves as some kind of an antidote against the negative emotions that you're experiencing. Negative emotions like anger, for example. Anger is one singular negative emotion that causes a lot of ill health that leads to a lot of cardiovascular problem diseases. So, Tugadi, Richardson, and Barrett have produced studies and evidence to show that if you focus and move to a more positive mode, it can help us overcome. Because the negative emotions can compromise our immune system. And our immune, our immune, I think we hear a lot about our immune system recently, about this COVID-19. And it is the immune system that protects us. Sometimes we can be infected by the COVID-19. It's up to our immune system of our body. And if we can be, be moved to a more positive mode of, uh, of our survival mode, I think it will be good you know, to strengthen ourselves. I must quickly say that... Uh, it would be wrong for me to tell you that, uh, that we must suppress all our negative emotions. It is not possible. Let's be realistic and honest. Negative emotions are part and parcel uh, of our life. It serves a purpose. It serves as warning. It serves as a reminder for us. But we should not be bogged down and get set and stay in that mode. We need to change, to move to a more positive mode. We need to what we call, uh, what I would say, you know, to strike a, a balance, a healthy, proper balance between positivity and negativity. I think to tell people, you know, we must always be positive. You know, if you show negative emotions, you don't have faith, brother. Sister, you don't have faith. Or you have enough faith. Quite a number of years back, I was working in the hospital at Woodbridge, Woodbridge Hospital. A psychiatrist came to me and said, hey, what, what do your church teach about death? Uh, uh, what happens to, your, to you after you die? So I shared with him my Adventist belief and so on. I said, why? He said, you know, I went to attend a funeral the other day, you know. It's a Christian family, Christian funeral. 
and the family was crying. And the preacher told the family, don't cry. Show your joy and happiness because your loved one is now in heaven. It's now in paradise. So you must not show any negative emotions. You must not cry. You must not be sad. This is what we call toxic positivity. We cannot be positive all the time. It's not a black and white. This is dichotomous thinking. It's a false dichotomy. We cannot think purely in black and white terms in zero-sum game. You know, we can, it is not either negative or positive. We must have a proper balance of the two. Now, toxic positivity sometimes can make things worse. We tell people, don't be negative. Don't feel sad. But it's a reality. When we encounter a crisis, we encounter a loss, we will have that problem. But how do we strike this balance? Now, Viktor Frankl came up with what he says, what he described as tragic optimism. And uh, tragic optimism is something which I will share with you in a minute. But the book of Romans had told us, you know, that let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Sometimes to strike a proper balance depends on how we think when we are faced with a crisis. If we are stuck in our negative thinking mode, we will be there. We will continue to suffer and having ourselves being harmed physically, mentally, and spiritually. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23 says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It is the mind that needs to be renewed, that we need to change our way of thinking. Now, if you look at the picture of people in the concentration camp, Viktor Frankl was in the concentration camp for three years. He was a young Jewish doctor. He was caught by the Nazis and put in the concentration camp. And he observed the behavior of people, how they behave. Now, if you look at the situation there, I think it's a little bit worse than being the circuit breaker and locked down and quarantined in a hotel, isn't it? I think it's slightly worse. Oh, I'm just being sarcastic, all right? To be in a concentration camp is a horrible, horrible, horrible experience. And Viktor Frankl wasn't talking from an ivory tower. He wasn't a professor writing nice conceptual theories about tragic optimism. He has gone through it. And this is what he said, what he observed. And he wrote his book, uh, Man's Search for Meaning. Oh, let me allow me to just sidetrack a bit. One of my regrets, I have a few regrets in life to share with you. One of my regrets, I think this is around about 1978 or 79, one afternoon I received a phone call and the person said, hey, you know, we'd like to invite you to a special talk by Dr. Victor Franco. It was going to be held at that time in Fort Canning Rice. I think the cultural center was there at one time. I'm not too sure. Uh, I can't remember what, what the venue, but it was at the Fort Canning Rice. So I thought to myself, uh, Oh, the time is 7.30 in the evening. So I told myself, uh, 7.30, I got to fetch my daughter from school. She, she was in the afternoon session, finished school at 6. I have to pick her up at 6. I have to drive her home. And then after that, oh, I have to go for, look for dinner, you know. Uh, how am I going to drive all the way to the city fighting the traffic jam and so on? 
So I said, sorry, I cannot attend. And that was up to now one of my regrets in life that I did not have the chance to listen to Viktor Frankl in person when he came to Singapore. So this is just share with you uh, one of my regrets. But Viktor Frankl says, we who live in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. You know, of course, people always say, I have my right to choose what I want to do. Uh, I, I, I will offend a lot of people here if I were to say, you know, all this debate about whether you get vaccination or not vaccination, people say, it's my freedom to choose. I like my decision, all right? Sure, but I think Viktor Frankl talks about to choose to do good, to do things that is kind, compassionate, to do what is right. Not just, oh, well, I have a choice. I, have, I can choose to stick to my conspiracy theory, to what I believe, all right? But Viktor Frankl was talking about altruistic behavior. How in the worst situation, you can still be kind. You have the last piece of bread and somebody else needs it and you give it. That is the kind of thing that he's talking about. You can find meaning in the most tragic situation and it causes tragic optimism. And I like to say that, can we find something positive, even in tragedies, that we can have a balance, a proper balance between toxic positivity and tragic optimism. Now, when we have, we show up altruistic behavior, there's a group of neuroscientists and neuropsychologists who studied what happens to the brain when people do altruistic acts acts of kindness, acts of compassion, acts of love, it's, they show that there was actually some changes in the brain, especially the nucleus accumbent and the cingulate cortex, where I colored uh, the red uh, circle. It's not round, but it's there. That is the reward center, and there's a lot of neurohormones, the neurotransmitters like dopamine and GABA and so on and so on. Uh, and the purple area has, will be, and will be uh, activated. And there's some changes in your brain when you do acts of kindness and love and joy. And this is why in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, the Apostle Paul tells us, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. We all emphasize a lot about law, keeping the law. But let's have the fruit of the Spirit. Altruistic behavior does change your mind. Now, David, King David says, you know, uh, I wish I can be like a dove. I fly to the wilderness. You know, when we are hit with a crisis, we can be very, quite overwhelmed. When we are hit with a crisis, we become an instant agnostic. We become an instant atheist. I, I'm speaking from experience. All right? We suddenly forget that God is 
around. We forget that no one is around. No one is to help me. I find myself stranded in the wilderness. You know, I feel so helpless. And we cry out like David. But actually, we think that God is nowhere. No one is helping me. I'm being abandoned. Do you feel that sometimes, you know, in your private moment of life when you face the crisis? But still, God is trying to tell us, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Actually, he's near. This is from Isaiah 55, 6. And uh, he has a promise where he says that, actually, look, when you feel that you are in the wilderness, I'm about to do something new. If we only open our eyes. Even now it's coming. Do you not see it? Indeed, I will make a way in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. Now you compare to the earlier slide. Alright, let me go back to the earlier slide. Look at that. You see any rivers? Any hope? Any relief? You feel abundant, terrible, deserted. But God says, I can have a river, have rivers in the desert for you. Let me just share with you uh, just a little story that I read recently, uh, which I felt it's a simple story, but helps me understand uh, this particular text. When we think that God is nowhere, cannot find Him, He's playing hide and seek with us, just like King David. You know, Here are my prayer, O oh Lord, where are you? Where are you, God? This is a story of a, a typical family. They have a teenage boy, a teenage son, who loves soccer. He loves to play soccer. So this is another typical day. The parents going to work. Both father and mother go to work. And uh, before they go, they usually have family prayer and they pray that God protect us from all harms and danger. This is very familiar. All of Adventists like to pray that way. Yeah? Protect us from all harms and danger. And they went to work. The boy went to school. In the afternoon, the father received a call from the principal. He said, I'm so sorry to tell you, your boy had a terrible injury from playing soccer this, this, uh, after school. And we have to call the ambulance and he's been sent to the hospital. So give the information to the, parent, to the father. The father quickly called the mother and both rushed to the hospital. And along the way, the father was praying, Lord, why God? You promised to protect us from all harm and danger. Where are you, God? Where are you? Why didn't you hear our prayer? And in their great anguish and their pain, they went to the hospital and they waited and waited. Sometimes you go to the hospital, you wait. And it adds to the agony and the anguish. And finally, after seems like hours, the doctor who attended to the boy came, came out. And they were so worried. And the doctor said, well, I have uh, to inform you, you know, your boy had a hairline fracture on his leg. And we think that there's further injury of his thigh. And so we did a scan to make sure that, you know, the injury is attended to. And, but we actually accidentally scanned the, the upper area and we found a growth 
One looks like a very aggressive tumour, a very rare one. We're not too sure. We need to confirm by biopsy, but uh, we think that this can be a very lethal, very dangerous one. If it's not been detected on time, your boy, in very short period, would have died. Do you think God was nowhere? Was the injury cause us to become an instant agnostic and atheist? Did God forsake us? So God is now here. From God is nowhere, but God is now here. Now we have faced a terrible crisis over the last two years, this COVID-19 pandemic. And in the news, in the media, we have had numerous repetitive instructions and teaching and tell us what to do, all right? And some of us stick to our conspiracy theory. Uh, we don't believe any of this stuff. Well, we believe one or two of these, but not the other ones. But let me just, in the, at the risk of offending some of you, I will go through it. Uh, one of the important lessons from fighting the COVID-19 Get vaccinated because all the science and studies, observations in many countries shows that if you are not vaccinated, you are 11 times more likely to die of the virus. 11 times. Not two times or three times or five times. 11 times. And the Singapore study shows similar trend. All right? So get vaccinated. Wear your PPE for those who are in the front line, healthcare professionals. They need to put on the PPE. Some people mock at them and say, oh, Kiasu, you know, going wear all like this. But wearing mask, wearing PPE is a form of protection. Okay, mask saves life. Harvard Health, uh, Health uh, Public School have discovered, they've done studies on it. Wash and sanitize our hands. Okay, these are things we all know, but we still sometimes don't bother. All right. Ah, yeah, I just sanitized just now. Not to spoil my skin, you know. So we, we have all kinds of reasons not to do it, all right? But the Center of uh, uh, Disease Centers in, in, in the United States have discovered and found that washing hands is very, very important to protect us from the virus. And keep safe distancing. You know, people always complain. Ayah, government always flip-flop. One moment you can have five, then two, you know, you cannot go here, do that. So we want to have our party, we want to have our group. So you always have people who are focused on the negativity. But safe distancing is an important part to prevent us from infecting ourselves, or getting infected, or infecting other people. Now, again, I'm aware that there are religious groups of various religions, and within the Christian community, there are people who believe that they don't want to, they do not believe in some of the things about vaccination and immunization. And I apologize to those who feel offended, all right? Uh, here we have, uh, in October, uh, just a month or so ago, our general conference, uh, together with the other uh, agencies and organizations within the church, after they studied the whole situation, they issued a position a statement about um, uh, the, you know, response to the COVID-19. Okay? This is 
uh, a current position of the church on immunization and vaccines, including the COVID-19. And I just circle the part. As a denomination, we have advocated the synergy of a healthy lifestyle and responsible immunization for more than 100 years. The church is encouraging people to go for immunization. The church is not against it. Some people are against it, okay? You have your freedom to choose for whatever reasons. I'm also aware that some people believe that they believe that Ellen White is against vaccination. But it is not true. Professor Mokalas, uh, yeah, Mo, Mo, how do you say it? Moskala, Moskala. I checked with Pastor James. I said, did you take class from Professor Moskala? And James said, yes. No wonder we have a good preacher. <laughs> Professor Moskala is the dean of a theological seminary at Andrews University. And he did a study, he looked into, and he cited um, uh, Selected Messages, Volume 2, page 303. This was the time where there was an outbreak of smallpox in the United States when Alan White was there. Okay? And vaccine against smallpox was just developed. But Ellen White got herself vaccinated. Not only that, she encouraged her helpers and others to go for vaccination. For two reasons. You know, she believed that personal health benefits enable us you know, to serve others so that we will not get sick. And we're not sick, we can serve others and also not to transmit the disease and contaminate others. This is what Ellen White did. But still there are some church members who believe Ellen White is against it, and so therefore I don't want to do it. All right. So anyway, uh, I'd like to say that our fight against the COVID-19 mirrors our spiritual fight, our spiritual life. And I want to draw a few spiritual lessons uh, from fighting COVID-19. Now, symbolically, uh, when we receive a vaccine, uh, we have the needle that penetrates our flesh and injects the vaccine into us. And that made me think, hey, maybe that symbolizes the sharp nails and the sharp spears that pierce into our Lord Jesus Christ and draw blood from him. And the blood of Jesus to me is the vaccine for our eternal life. All right? The blood of Jesus Christ helps us to protect us from eternal death. When we accept him as our savior, we get ourselves vaccinated. And each time, because the, the Bible says in 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. Then of course, Jesus said, when I go back, I give you the Holy Spirit. When we receive the Holy Spirit, we get a booster. We get a booster shot. All right. So this is one spiritual lesson I, I like to draw symbolically. What about wearing a PPE? The Bible says, put on the whole armor of God. It's a form of spiritual PPE. You know, this fight against the COVID-19 coronavirus, uh, the coronavirus is invisible to our naked eyes. You can see it with electron microscope. You can, now you can actually see and, and do 
genetic sequencing can tell that's Omni, Omicron or Delta variant or whatever it is. All right. But it is invisible. Although they are invisible, they are everywhere. And when they are everywhere, they are a threat to our life. And you either fight, take flight, or be frightened by it. All right. But spiritually, when we are faced with enemy, who's the enemy? The Bible says we are not wrestling with flesh and blood. You are fighting against principalities. I've got my tongue twisted. Uh, uh, let me just get the, the exact quotation from, from my notes because I can't, I can't see very well nowadays. It says, you know, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against princip princip principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spir spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. You can read about this from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. So we are fighting against an invisible enemy, the devil. Just as well, just as we are fighting against the invisible coronavirus. And we need to pull on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. What about washing our hands and sanitize ourselves? We should be kept spiritually clean. Clean hands and a pure heart, as King David says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a form of sanitizing spiritually. What about keeping safe distancing? The Bible admonishes us that we should stay away from the devil, keep a distance away from the evil one, keep away from places of temptation, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, earlier I shared with you the Chinese word for crisis is weiji. This is the old normal when we face a crisis, face danger, and there's an opportunity for us to learn. And I want to introduce another Chinese word. Yu Sang, you can tell us. The Chinese character qi means air, or breath, or vital energy, qi. Right? What happens if you put the cross inside qi? It becomes a Japanese character, kanji, called ki. The Japanese word ki, kanji, implies a composite of spirit, mind, and heart. And if you have the cross of Jesus Christ in our heart, in our mind, and in our spirit, we have a new normal to face the crisis of life. And I will give you a new heart and put a new, a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Thank you.
inspiring message. Anyway, Uncle Fred um, asked us, chose, chose this song as a closing, and um, I googled it and tried to uh, read the history, and I don't know if any of you knew the history of this song. Um, it's, it's a remarkable story. When I read it, I cried, because um, it's a moving story. So, I encourage all of you who don't know the song, this, this, this story behind this song, please do so. It is well with my soul. When peace like Shall we pray? Thank you, Lord, 
that thou hast given us our Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross. The Christ is not the Christ of Christmas, but he is also the Christ of our crisis. Lord, we thank you that thou hast given us a new heart, a new mind, and a new spirit. Help us to believe it. Help us to receive it. Help us to take it and to apply it as we face the crisis of life. Thank you, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.